let's have a few questions if you want to ask any about the last two sides, the elliptical theology thing, if you want to talk about that. Uh, if you want to talk about these early letters, Romans, Corinthians. Yeah, Angie. I feel like my question is very rudimentary, but the more you talk, the more I realize I don't know if I know what the definition of the kingdom of God is or the kingdom of heaven. And the more... <laughs> yeah, the, we, yeah, I think the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, is just the effective realm of God's reign. That's how Dallas Willard defines it. And I love that definition. It's where God's will gets to happen. So God's will is coming to this earth. It's intruded against the empire of the enemy to make himself known in the world. I can, as my life more and more ascribes to this living in the righteousness that trust produces, the kingdom of God takes on more evidence in me. So that kingdom, as Romans says, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it really is not focusing on, it's not a, a physical kingdom that we can draw geographically. It's a spiritual reality that God's growing in the world as more and more people seek to be in my life, God, let your will be accomplished here on earth as it is in heaven. Does that help you? Did the elliptical theology thing make sense? These things holding intention, which doesn't lead to principles, does it? It leads to, okay, this feels like it's off the mark. This feels safe. This feels like, yeah, I've got scriptures that kind of, I have a sense of safety inside this arena. So hopefully that did. Can I? Let's go to, do you have a follow-up, Angie, or? I thought immediately goes grace and the law. And did that? No, that wouldn't be two things we're trying to balance because the New Testament says no. One's replaced the other. One's an old covenant, now obsolete. We'll get to that in Hebrews. And the new covenant. So law and grace is not. It's obedience and mercy. But it's not obedience to law. It's obedience to Christ. It's following him, ultimately. Barry. Yes, a follow-up question to the elliptical question. Could two points of the elliptical be the Abba Father and the other one be his holiness, his light, his truth? Yeah, and I think that's one of them I mentioned, but God is yeah. Abba, God is Judge, or, yeah, that, that gets to exactly that point. There are many more than I described to you. I think as you read these letters, you're going to say, this seems to be one of those things that I don't have to choose this over this. I can let these be in tension with each other. Yeah, those that I've shared the Abba Father with, they're saying, but His holiness is what is the whole focus of the Bible, which totally excludes the Abba Father, even though it's very obviously... An intimate part of it. Not only does it exclude it, here, here's the problem I see with what people say who believe that. And that is, if you don't know God as Abba, you'll not embrace His holiness in a way that transforms you. So it really is the modality by which we experience His holiness. Yeah, God is holy, absolutely. In the Abba-ness of my safety with Him, then He gets to be holy with me, and I don't have to shrink away in shame or condemnation. I get to be inside God's holiness and go, wow, I really do fall short. And in my recognition of falling short, there's no guilt, no condemnation. There's just that drawing to him that says, would you change me? Would you keep untwisting my faulty way of thinking and living so I can live like you want me to live and like you are in the world? And I think then God's holiness is not, gosh, that horrible thing we have to be afraid of. It's the irresistible reality we want to live. I think that's what becomes true. Yeah, and that's really the whole transformation process comes from that. Exactly. It begins there. I was going to ask, uh, you were talking about, you know, the elliptical thought moving people from one point being centric to kind of both points being held in tension. Um, one of the things I've, I, I've seen specifically with people who, you know, know they're right, um, it's very difficult to get them to enter into that conversation as opposed to people who just, they're like, okay, well, let's discuss that as to how I might not, I, I'm not 
they see themselves as being ethnocentric. Yeah. Or, you know, however you want to put that. How do you get people, specifically very religious people that are uptight, to move or just be willing to move to that point without seeming combative yourself? It's like, I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just explaining to you what I believe or what I perceive. I'm trying to enter a dialogue, and they don't want, they want you to enter their group think. Yeah. That's a little warning I gave when I said I feel compelled to get to these people. I, any question that begins, how do I get my wife to, my husband to, my friend to move away, my religious police guy to see, never ends well. I can't get. I can live the life I live, freely talk about it. When you're ready to talk about it, we can talk about it. If I've got to come to you and get you to see something you're not seeing, I think that's what Paul talked about, 2 Corinthians 4, when he says, you know, we, we just try to set forth the, pl- the truth plainly commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, if that's where, if you're stuck in that religious arrogance and you keep, what I'm going to ask you to do is not beat on me. No, don't beat me up. Mm-hmm. But I'm the, I have no angst to convince you because I think convincing is a work of the Holy Spirit. So my trying to get there, if I'm going to sit down and say, let me draw an elliptical theology chart and I want to show you, you're over here in this little area. <laughs> it's not going to be a fruitful conversation. You're this, not. This is how you're narrow-minded. What's going to yeah. <laughs> This is how I'm driving. Exactly. Yeah. That's not going to work. And what, in fact, you're going to do is what we talked about last night. You're going to push them deeper. The more you try right. to convince somebody, wait until their theology collapses of its own weight and some crisis in their life, it will collapse of its own weight. And when it does, then they're coming to you saying, I'm re-examining some things. They won't come to you if you've been the pusher. Because then that's the I told you so paradigm of I'm not going to that person. But if you haven't been the I told you so person, you'll be the person they come to when their eyes begin to open. And as, as Paul says, their eyes become unveiled. And now they're wanting to, gosh, maybe some of the things I heard back there made sense. I find those people come find me when they're ready. And that's a much better conversation. It's not Jesus going to a council of Pharisees. It's Nicodemus finding Jesus at night going, I want to talk to you about this. And he gets into a better conversation with him. How were you doing that when you were a pastor? Because I feel, like, you, <laughs> well, I feel like people find you and look for that conversation a lot more than as if you're just in, in life. And, and it wasn't even poorly that way. I don't know that a lot of people looked for me to have that conversation. But I felt my obligation Sunday morning was I have to get people who aren't seeing things in here to see things in here. And I didn't spend the bulk of my time as a pastor feeding the hungry. I spent a bulk of my time trying to convince the complacent or convince the ignorant. And they weren't convinced. That was wasted energy. Last 15 years, I only when I get invitations to come to count the, come to conventions and want to argue these things, I don't go. When I get invitation to homes of people who want to discuss these things, I'm there. And I don't mind if people don't see it yet and want to have an honest dialogue, but I don't want to have a debate on these things. I think it's absolutely fruitless. So I, I've stopped 17 years ago trying to convince people of anything. I just love living alongside people. God's waking to these realities, and I feed the hungry.